Yeah, isn't that awesome? Um, Hope for Christmas is one of the best things that we do, not only because of how it blesses our communities in Pickens County and Cherokee County, but so many of you are mobilized to live life on mission. And we've mentioned this maybe a couple times, but last year we had about 1,200 kids that we sponsored. And then after that, we felt like we could step out in faith and take on more. So this year was over 2,000 kids, almost double. And you guys did that? Yeah, you can clap for that. Yeah. Blessing kids in our communities. And so thank you so much for your generosity, not only just in believing who we are as a church and what we are trying to accomplish to love Jesus and grow people, but a part of that is sending you out to live life on mission. And that's why I love these events like Give a Kid a Chance and Hope for Christmas because it's a very tangible way for you to get involved in that mission and then it lets our communities know, hey, we're here and we love you. So thank you for being very generous. And that's why we wanted to celebrate that. And again, we'll talk more about that moving forward into the year and other things that God really, we believe, is positioning us to continue to do, to bless our communities. But before we get into any of that or today's message, as always, let's pray and let's thank God for the opportunity we have together. God, thank you for who you are. And God, we celebrate things like hope for Christmas because we know it's so much more than a gift in a physical sense that we get to unwrap, but it's about the ultimate gift, which is Jesus, that you have given to us. And we've been looking at that in the letter to the Ephesians. God, as we've been looking over the last several months about this amazing grace, how you have made us alive in Christ and your immeasurable grace God, not only have you made us alive, but you have gifted us to do good works. And so we thank you for just some tangible ways that we can exercise those gifts and doing good works for our community, things like Hope for Christmas. And God, I pray now as we open up your word that you would meet with us. I love this text because it is a prayer that Paul was praying for them. And God, I pray that we would see Not only the fact that, in essence, this is how Paul prayed for them, but that we would learn how to pray like this. And God, I pray that we would be able to comprehend everything that you have for us in Christ. And as always, God, I pray that your spirit would help us to see it, understand it, live it, help me to communicate it in a way that honors you and is helpful. And we ask all this in Jesus' name, amen. If you have a Bible, we're in Ephesians chapter three, and this week and next week at our Christmas Eve gatherings, we will close out chapter three. I can't believe we're already here at Christmas again. It's not like I don't know when it is, but every year it's like I'm surprised that it's here, you know? And I think part of it is, one, when you just love what you do, um, you just kind of go week to week to week in, in our, my world, in our world as a church. But two, what I love especially about this year is we're teaching through this letter in Ephesians chapter three, and, and, and you know we plan these things out, but obviously through the help and power of the Holy Spirit, how we're going to see next week the last two verses in chapter three, verse 20 and 21, which the last part of Paul's prayer, which is a rather famous verse or verses that get used often. And so for Christmas at Revolution next week, make sure you're here, you're inviting friends, both of our campuses online as well. We're gonna close out this letter and see the last part of that prayer. But this week, we're gonna see the first part of Paul's prayer in verses 14 through 19. And what I love about this is not just that Paul prayed. In fact, this is the second time he does this in this letter. He did it at the end of chapter one. But to look at some specifics about how Paul prayed. And what I love about this, it really just gets at the heart um, not only what Paul wanted for the church at Ephesus, but it really convicts me as a pastor to pray like this, to want this for us as a church in the same way Paul wanted it for them. And so I hope it helps you to understand not only that, but then really I hope as we get to the end of it that you'll want it for yourself as well. Let's just go Ephesians chapter three, verse 14 and 15. I wanna start there, then we'll stop and chat about it. 
Paul says, for this reason. Now, this is the second time he said it in chapter three. I mentioned this before. He said it in verse one, which whenever you see for this reason, you know he's talking about something that just happened before. So namely in this one, he's talking about the end of chapter two, where he had said that God had broken down the dividing wall between us and him and us and each other in Christ. And then he began chapter three saying, for this reason, but then he kind of had the injunction between two and verses 13, because he said he was in prison on their behalf. And so he was explaining how that all fits into the manifold wisdom of God, which we talked about last week, if you were here. So now he's picking back up in verse 14, his prayer that he purposely interrupted before, all right? So now he's praying. This is what he says. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father. That's capital F, because it's talking about God the Father. From whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. Now, a couple things I want us to get into. First, before we talk about exactly what it was that he was praying for them about, is a couple things to highlight here. He says he bows the knee to the Father. Now, that's significant. In fact, you're gonna see in this text the Trinity the Father, the Son, and the Spirit then you're going to see him refer to the three as God. But he's gonna kind of take it piece by piece. And so I think it's important that he highlights the fact that he's bowing the knee before the Father. And again, this is just kind of my personal take on this. This is why I think we should pray to the Father. Not pray to Jesus or pray to the Spirit, but we pray to the Father, one, because that's how Jesus taught us in the Lord's Prayer, but think about it like this. We pray to the Father by the Spirit, by the power of the Spirit, in the name of Jesus. All right, so that's how the Trinity works, but we're taught to bow the knee or pray before the Father, and the significance of that is this kind of interesting little tidbit that he throws in here. He says, we bow the knee before the Father, and it's almost like he's saying, because every family on earth and in heaven is named from him. Now, this idea of named is the idea that we come from the Father. And you don't see it in English as much as you see it in Greek is because there's a play on words here. And what I mean by that is the name or the word in Greek for father and the word for family are the same Greek word with different endings. The same Greek word with different endings. The Greek word for father is petros, and then for family is patria. Now here's what I find fascinating. That word patria is where we get our English word patriarch. Now you've heard of patriarch before. All right, you have a patriarch, which in a family is like, okay, this is the dude we all came from. Patriarch means literally the first father or the highest father. You also can have matriarchs, which would be the mother. In my family, growing up, we had a matriarch. It was my great-grandmother, Grandma Papke, because that was her last name. This was on my mom's side. So this is my mom's grandmother. And she had four daughters and one son, but he was lost in, I believe it was the Korean War. He's still missing in action. But she had four daughters, and of those four daughters, one of them was my grandmother. And each one of them obviously had quite a few kids. So we would get together every year at different times, like Easter, 4th of July, uh, Thanksgiving, Christmas. We would all get together, and it all centered around my great-grandmother. She was the one that really, that it was this recognition, hey, we're all from you. We all come from you. And we would all gather together as a big old family because they used to live on the, this lake called Lake Tyler, but then they had since moved and then we kind of made this place the gathering place for our entire family. So we would come every year. But we would also come because grandma could cook, y'all. Right, you know what I'm talking about? I mean, she could just straight cook. Literally, she lived on her own till she was 95, and then passed away when she was 96. And here's probably the coolest part of the story. I baptized her when she was 95. 
Yeah. But if you know anything about baptism, you know that before she was baptized, she wasn't a Christian. She wasn't a Christian. So needless to say, when I was growing up, she wasn't a believer. And you knew that because when you got in trouble, she got mad. And there was this one time, I'll never forget, I was at her house and I loved going to her house because we get to go outside and explore. And again, she could cook good. And I'll never forget one time, I had done something, I don't even know what it was, and I made her mad. And she said, go outside and get a switch. I didn't know anything about switches. Like, what do you mean? And she was talking about go get a piece of a, of a tree because she's about to whip me with it. So I thought, in my young wisdom, I'm gonna go get the smallest one I could find. Yeah, y'all had a grandmama too. Right? So I went and got that switch and she wore me out with that sucker. I mean, and it hurt so bad. It was a little switch. I mean, you're like, oh. It hurt bad. The next time I got in trouble, I wisened up. Because what wisdom is just simply knowledge applied, and you get knowledge from making mistakes. All right? So then I thought, I'm not getting the smallest one I can find. Joker, I'm getting the biggest one. So I went out and got like a branch, y'all. <laughs> like about a 12 foot, as big as I could carry. And she was sitting on the front porch waiting for me and I brought that sucker up there. And I was like, it was almost like, beat me with this, right? And once she saw it, she started laughing and then forgot that I was in any trouble. So it was a win. <laughs> but grandma was the matriarch, right? And, and we all loved and honored her, not just because of she could cook. She could, she made these things called popcorn balls. You ever had popcorn balls, man? Ooh, if you don't know, it's like popcorn that you put in a ball with like corn syrup and goodness and then you eat it. This tooth right here is a fake tooth. When I was a kid, I broke it on the side of the pool. Literally just cut that joker in half. Woke up like half, I mean, it was gone. You know, so I had this temporary crown until I turned 18 and then I got a permanent one. I broke that sucker, the fake one, like three different times on those popcorn balls. <laughs> and it was worth every one. But there was this honor and respect that we had for her because we all were aware of the fact we came from her. She was the one from whom our whole family was named. And I'm, I'm using that as an example to say, Paul is picking up on that same kind of familial language and what he's saying is, God the Father is the ultimate patriarch he is the one from whom every family, but watch this, not just every family on earth, every family in heaven is named. See, real quick, historically speaking, before God created a human family, he had created a spiritual or heavenly family. We can think of those as angels. The Bible in the Old Testament just refers to He'll use this name sometimes for God, but sometimes for other beings, and it's the Hebrew word Elohim, just refers to spiritual beings. So God is not the only Elohim. There are other Elohim, there are other spiritual beings, but God is the only Yahweh. So he is the father of all those Elohim. All right, so every family, every being on earth and in heaven finds their origin, or here's a better biblical way to say it, their genesis in the Father. So since that's true, here's my first point, all right? Every family is from the Father, so every family should bow before the Father. Every family is from the Father. So therefore, every family should bow before the Father. Because the idea of bowing before is the idea of reverence and submission. Saying, you're greater than me, so I'm bowing before you. I'm bowing down, showing that you are greater and I'm also submitting to your authority in my life. Let me give you a supporting text. Psalm 95, verse six and seven. I've got it here on the screen. You might just wanna write it down as a reference. Here's how the psalmist talked. Oh, come, let us worship and bow down, let us kneel before the Lord. Why? Look at the next two words, our maker, 
our maker. For he is our God and we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. For he's our God. He's our father and he is our Lord. Not only did he make us, but watch this, he commands us. And that's why this phrase here, we are the people of his pasture, is getting at this idea. We're not just the people of a place like a pasture. Obviously, the Bible uses a lot of um, agricultural language. And I know there's not as many sheep herders around now, although that's like farming is, is cool again. It's awesome. I love it. All right. But it's the idea that we are the people that he pastures. And, and that's where we get this New Testament idea of pastor or shepherd, which is what my title and our other pastors on staff, the title pastor comes from this idea that we are under the chief shepherd, according to 1 Peter 5, are the ones now that are leading, pastoring the people of God. And then he calls us sheep. I don't know if you know anything about sheep, but sheep are stupid. <laughs> uh, there was this video and it goes, and you just Google it when you get home, just sheep that jumps into ditch. If you haven't seen it already, the video opens where the sheep is in a ditch and then this guy comes and gets this sheep out and then the sheep takes off running and tries to jump the ditch and gets in it again. That's what pastoring is. Straight up, y'all. The, the closest relation is parenting. Pulling your kids out of a ditch, watching them run and go jump back in it again. Right? Now, don't take this personal because I am one too. But we is what the sheep are. We are the dumb ones. And this is why I think it's so important to understand this principle of bowing the knee. Next point. So we can either see this as an ultimatum or an invitation. We can see this as an ultimatum. You have to bow the knee. Or you can see it as an invitation. You get to bow before a father that loves you. And this is why this is so important. Any scholar or anthropologist or sociologist would tell you that this generation, the generation of people alive now, not just Gen Z, Gen Y, millennial, you know, all the whole deal, but the people that are alive right now in all of human history might be the generation that is the most resistant to authority. The most resistant to authority to bowing the knee before someone as a recognition to say, you know better than I do. And the reason why I'm pointing this out is the very air that we breathe in the 21st century is not the type of air that is going to bow easily. So when it comes to God, when it comes to verses like this where Paul says, I bow the knee before the Father, we bristle at that. I don't know if I like that. In fact, if you look at the 10, and it depends on the list, I've seen a bunch of different ones, but just the, the least trusted professions, number one almost always is politicians. Then you got car salespeople. Sorry if that's your industry. Journalists. But do you know what's in the top 10? Clergy which I do kind of take personal offense to that. But I'll, I'll, I'll give it, there are definitely some pastors that have acted like some dumb sheep. So I get it. But I was talking to a sociologist one time who had studied these things and he said, you don't need to see this as much as a personal indictment, but as a public perception. That it's not so much that people just hate pastors, or hate politicians, they just bristle at anybody in authority that tells them what to do. And I think that's why a lot of us wrestle, even in our relationship with God, even the idea that you would call him father. 
is hard for a lot of people because of the earthly representation that they've seen. And I understand that and I get that. But here's why I'm stressing this at the beginning. You can see it as an ultimatum. And if you see it that way, you're gonna miss out on the rest of the verses. But if you see it as an invitation, then there's four that's coming your way. Four that's coming your way. I'm gonna show them to you. Let's look at two of them. Look at verse 16. That, according to the riches of his glory, the Father, and I love, Paul keeps talking, and you're gonna see it more in just a second. It's like Paul is obsessed with talking about how glorious and rich in mercy and love God is. Immeasurable, unsearchable, inscrutable. According to the riches of his glory. It's almost like he wants us to know something about our father. Our father is rich. But he's not rich in money like Scrooge McDuck, right? He's rich in all the things that your heart desperately wants. And when you bow the knee to him, this is what you get. Look, according to the riches of his glory, he might grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. That's your heart. Look at verse 17. So that, that's the second one, Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. So now you see the Trinity at work here. Bow the knee to the Father. The Spirit is gonna give you the power that everything Christ purchased for you to have. So the Spirit is gonna give you the ability. I love how he says that. Look at it. He says, may grant you to be strengthened with power by his Spirit in your heart. Power. See, when Christ died... He didn't just die to undo the penalty of our sin. That was part of it, yes. But he also died and rose again to give us power over sin. And the reason why a lot of us still struggle with power over sin is because we keep thinking we can beat it ourselves. Instead of bowing the knee before the Father and saying, I can't, but you can, will you give me power? So think about it like this. I don't think anybody here would say, I don't think you're, you're this dumb as a sheep, all right? I don't think anybody would say you are more powerful than God. Anybody? No. Even people that think there is no God, they were like, well, if there is one, I'm pretty sure I'm not more powerful. So watch this. Then why would you fight bowing the knee before someone who's more powerful than you, that when you do that, he's gonna give you his power. If he's more powerful than you, and he has power over sin that he can give you through his spirit, then why wouldn't you want to bow the knee to him? See what I'm saying? Why wouldn't you see that as an invitation instead of an ultimatum? Why wouldn't you see it as an invitation that God's saying, listen, if you will just come, before me, repent, bow the knee, show that you are incapable of beating this thing, that I will give you power through the Spirit by Christ dwelling in you. Maybe we would have more power in our hearts if we would bow our knees. See what I'm saying? And the bowing of the knee is a physical representation of a greater spiritual reality. I'm not as powerful. But the good news is, I don't have to be. So I say often, the good news is far gooder than you thought. The good news is gooder. Somebody should make that into a bumper sticker. If you do, just give me some royalties, all right? The good news is gooder. See, we just think it was over penalty of sin. No, that's not all it was. It's also now power over sin. That's why Paul was praying for them, that they may be strengthened with the power of the Spirit so that Christ may dwell in their hearts. That's only two of the that's. Here's the next two. Look at verse 17. 
that you being rooted and grounded in love, we'll come back to that, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth. Here he is once again trying to explain the immeasurable, the unsearchable, the inscrutable love of God. He's saying, I want you to have the power to comprehend, and I'll tell you about that word in a second, what is the breadth and length and height and depth, which means you can never get to the ends of them, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. Here's the last that. That you may be filled with all the fullness of God. That right there, probably should have had an amen on your part, but it's all right, all right, it's all right. We'll get there, all right. We're all in process, maybe. But think about that. That I may be filled with the fullness of what is immeasurable? And I love how he says now, now he says the fullness of God. Well, is God the Father? Is God the Son? Is God the Spirit? Yes. If you're new, God is three in one. One God, three persons. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. One God, three persons. And you get the fullness of God in the three persons. I don't know about you, but this is how I think. Hold on. If he is unlimited and I am limited, how in the world can the limited contain or be filled with the unlimited? How can I be filled with the fullness? You can't. But here's how I like to think about it. Just from a simple analogy, imagine you are a container that holds something but you got a big old hole in the bottom and God is pouring in his fullness, the fullness of the father, son, and spirit, the fullness of the power, the fullness of the love, the fullness of the grace, the fullness of the mercy, everything that he, if you were here last week, all that Christ is and all that Christ gives. And you know, if that thing's going to be full, you better have something pouring in faster than your ability to leak it out. But here's what's amazing. Your ability to leak it out cannot outdo his ability to pour it in because it's limitless. It's limitless. It's unsearchable. It's immeasurable. You will never run out of God's supply of his fullness. That's how I think about it. It's not so much that like I can fill it up and then he gets, keeps filling it. No, I'm leaking it out constantly until I see him and have a resurrected body, right? And so what I, I just like to think about this is God never gets tired of pouring in. God never, he's fullness. It's not like God has his angels in the bag like, we got enough. We got, I need y'all to count that. We got enough. I mean, think about the miracle of feeding the, we just say 5,000, it's more like 5,000 families. It's kind of like hope for Christmas, right? It's really like 20,000 people. Some few loaves and fishes. Jesus, like, that's enough. Why? Because it ain't about the material, it's about the supernatural. He has the power to multiply and multiply and multiply and multiply the fullness. And here's what I love Paul wants us to comprehend that. To comprehend that. Now, this word here, comprehend, is an interesting word. We just think of it as in the sense of understand. He wants us to understand that. But what's really interesting to me is he says he wants us to comprehend or know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. 
So hold up, he wants me to know something that surpasses my ability to know? Let me he wants me to know something that I can't know? Yeah. But think about it not so much in the terms of you can't know it, it's that his love surpasses it. It means it goes beyond it. Think about it like this. Have you ever felt so much love for something, and maybe it was in a song or when your kid was born or something happens, that you struggled to find words? Because now what you knew got beyond your ability to mentally process it and it got you into your feels, right? Like, you didn't just know it, you felt it. That's what I think he's talking about here. He wants us to comprehend this to the point where it goes beyond our ability to even put it into words and we feel it. He wants us to understand his love to where it leaves you speechless. You're like, (laughs) so this word comprehend obviously goes beyond just He wants you to know something. Here's what I love about this word. This word here, comprehend, I'm gonna give you the definition of it, means to take hold of something and make it your own. Take hold of something and make it your own. Think of the word apprehend. Apprehend, you're gonna grasp, I mean, we use apprehend to talk about law enforcement. They apprehended a subject, right? They took hold of them grasp them. Well, this word comprehend, very similar. It means to take hold of something and make it your own. Well, what are you taking hold of? Let's go back when he said that you being rooted and grounded in love. Now listen, those two phrases, being rooted and grounded, are not something he's praying for them to have happen. He is praying that they take hold of the fact that it has happened because of how he uses it. He says that you being rooted and grounded in love, he's saying you're already rooted. You're already grounded. I'm not praying that you would be rooted. I'm not praying that you would be grounded. You're already rooted. You're already grounded. Why? Because you're already saved. You're already in Christ. And what I love about those two words is, and one just because of the alliteration of it, I want to give you, in the tense, they are perfect passive participles. I just love that. Perfect passive participles. And a participle is a verbal noun. And what that means is something that happened that now makes you into something. But it happened passively, which means you didn't make it happen. We've already did that in Ephesians 2. But I really want to focus on the perfect tense. And I've told you this before if you've been around. Here's what the perfect tense, listen to this, describes a completed verbal action that occurred in the past. Watch this. But which is producing a state of being or result that exists in the present. The perfect tense of which these words are is describing something that has already happened, but it's producing a state of being now. I love that he uses words like rooted and grounded. And the reason why I love that, and really it is a picture of our entire mission as a church, love Jesus, grow people, And GROW is an acronym, Gospel Relationships Obedience Works. And if you've ever been around and heard us teach that, we use the analogy that Jesus uses. Most people call it the parable of the soils. I like calling it the parable of the seed. And he says the seed is the word of God. And the seed is what gets planted. And think about this. The seed gets planted in the ground of our hearts, the gospel, the good news. And when that happened... Now it's producing a result in our life. And first he says, rooted. The reason I love about that, you know how you know the difference between a seed and a weed? A weed will grow up, but won't grow down. It won't grow roots. 
This is why sometimes you wake up, especially in the spring, you look outside and there's like a two foot tall weed and you're like, how the heck did that get there? That was not there yesterday. And the worst thing in the world you can do is just go mow it down and spread those all out again, right? But you can take like a two, three foot tall weed and you just go pull it up out of the ground. Why? Because it's real tall, but the roots are like that shallow. But you take a seed, like the seed of a tree, and you plant it in the ground. You're not gonna see anything above the ground for a while. It doesn't mean it's not growing. And I always love this. The first root that comes out of a seed, it's called a radical. You can go look this up later. And the reason why I love that is because it's way more radical to grow down than to just try to grow up. And what I mean by that is this. A weed tries to go up, grow up out of the ground so that everybody can see it. Think about this in terms of spiritual gifts. I want everybody to see my spiritual gifts. But if you're going down into the ground, you're going to be rooted. And think of that as spiritual fruit. Both of them are a work of a spirit, of the spirit. But the work of the Holy Spirit, what he's going to do first in your life is not grow you up for everybody else to see. He's going to grow you down. He's going to grow roots in you. Why? Because roots are what ground you. They ground you. A two or three foot tree sapling, you go try to pull that joker out of the ground, you're going to struggle. Not just because you're not the man you used to be, because it's got roots. It's got roots. It's keeping it grounded. Think about this. This is why a lot of times we have professions that people don't trust. And, and I'll just use my profession, all right? I'll talk about my own family. How many pastors have you seen? Boy, they can shuck some corn in a sermon. If you don't know what that is, that means they can really preach, all right? They can get up there and they can make it happen, baby. They can speak, they can lead, but then they train wreck their life. Why? Because you know this, and I've told you this, character, or gifts will get you in the door, but character is going to keep you. See, what happens to a lot of us is we show up with our gifts. We're like, I'm here. But when you're here, you're a jerk to everybody. That means you might be a weed. Because if you are really grounded in the truth of the love of God, you wouldn't come off as arrogant because you're the person that naturally bows the knee to authority. See what I'm saying? And that's what Paul wants us to comprehend. That's what Paul wants us to take hold of. Hey, the work that God wants to do in your life is not just to use you greatly, but to change you deeply. He wants to work in the heart he wants to build your character. Anybody knows this? Any building that you see that comes above the ground, you better know they got piers that go way down. And the higher you go, the deeper you have to go. See, this is what Paul wants us to comprehend. He wants us to take hold of this. Think about it like this. The gospel has been planted in you. Now, you're rooted and grounded in love, in the love of the Father, in the love of the Son, in the love of the Spirit. Now Paul wants you to take hold of that. Take hold of that and make it your own. That's what it means to comprehend. So this goes beyond knowledge. This gets into application. I am becoming what I'm grounded in. I am becoming like the one who lives in me. Think about it like this. Here's my point, and then I'll give you some supporting text. God wants us to comprehend what we've been grounded in. God wants us to comprehend what we've been grounded in. He wants us not just to know it, but take hold of it. Take hold of it. 
He wants us to take hold of the love of Christ. He wants us to take hold of the fact that we now have strength by the power of the Spirit. Take hold of that. See, if you're more charismatic, you might use the word claim it. That's fine. If you're less charismatic, you don't like that word, take hold. I don't care, all right? But the idea of it is you better grasp it. You better grasp it and make it your own. Make it applied to your life. Let me ask you this. How practically does the love of Christ show up in your life on the daily? It shows up by when you have to bow the knee to somebody else. And you wanna know why we struggle so much with authority? It's because we're trying to prove ourselves. But what if the most secure among us are not those that promote themselves, but those that humble themselves? Was that not Jesus? Right? You gotta take hold of that. Let me give you two supporting texts. Philippians 3, verse 12. I'm first gonna read it in the NIV, and then I'm gonna read it in the ESV. And the reason is, is because both of them say one aspect of this word. Neither one of them say it completely, but I wanna show you what I mean. So look at this, Philippians 3.12. This is Paul. He's saying, not that I've already obtained all this, not that I've already taken hold of all this or have already arrived at my goal, but listen to this, but I press hold, I press on to take hold of. That word right there in Philippians 3 is the same exact Greek word as Ephesians 3, comprehend. Same word. So here's what Paul says. I'm pressing on to comprehend, to take hold of that. <laughs> it's almost like there's one God. That, the four that's. I'm trying to take hold of that. Watch this, for which Christ took hold of me. Same word. I'm trying to comprehend the fact that Christ comprehended me. I'm trying to apprehend the fact that Christ apprehended me. He took hold of me, y'all. When he came and put on flesh and dwelt among us and died on that cross, that was me. And when he went into the ground, that was me. And when he came out of the ground, that was me and that was you. He did that so that he could put his arms around you. He could take hold of you. And all I'm trying to get you to see is you need to get your arms around the fact that he's got his arms around you. You need to take hold of the fact that he's taken hold of you. And if he's taken hold of you, why in the world do you and I wrestle with bowing the knee before him? It's, it's like in, in anybody that's known, uh, like if you've done any kind of survival training, when you go out into the ocean and you're trying to rescue somebody, the worst person is the person being rescued because they're fighting the rescuer. And it's like, if you could just knock them out, like this would be much easier. <laughs> Let them take hold of you. This is why I don't understand when Christians wrestle with the commands of God when he tells you how to do sexuality, when he tells you how to do money, when he tells you how to do leadership and everything that he tells you to do, why do you fight it? You wanna know why? Because you have not taken hold of the fact yet that he's taken hold of you. You keep fighting the Father. Look at Philippians 3.12 now in the ESV. I love this. You haven't told him, I get excited. Not that I've already obtained this or I'm already perfect, but I press on, listen to this, <laughs> to make it my own. Because, because Christ Jesus made me his own. I told you a second ago the definition of comprehend. The definition of comprehend is take hold of something and make it your own. And these two translations got half of it right. That's why I wanted to show you both of them. 
It's not just take it, it's make it. But I can't make something my own that I haven't taken hold of. And I want you to think about this. In this context, he's not praying for this in a salvation sense. These people are already saved. They're already grounded and rooted in love. They're already in Christ. But there was four that's still waiting for them. There was still more for them to take hold of and make it their own. All the promises of God. So there might be some of you here today and you've never trusted Jesus. You have not been grounded and rooted in his love. And now the Holy Spirit today is making you alive. But there's a lot of us here because I know a lot of you. That's already happened. But you're refusing to bow the knee before your father in some area in your life. And that is you resisting to take hold of a truth that he's told you and making it your own. And I'm praying for you today that you would comprehend that. You would take hold of the fact that your father is a good father and he only has good for you. That doesn't mean you're not gonna suffer in circumstances. Oh, you will. But even in those, you'll know he's taken hold of you. He's made you his own. The only question is, will you submit to him and take hold of him and make him your own once again? Let's pray. Father, we bow the knee before you because it's from you that every family on earth and in heaven is named. Every family. And God, I pray right now for people in our gatherings or listening to this would be humbled to know it didn't start with them. It started with you. And they turned to you. I pray, God, for those that don't know you right now, you'd make them alive so that in faith they can pray and trust Jesus, submit their lives to him. No one looking around or talking here as we close if you've been fighting against your father who's been working to take hold of you, I pray for the first time you'd submit to him. You'd trust Jesus and be saved. Again, nobody looking around or talking as always, but if you want to pray and trust Jesus for the first time, you can pray with me. You don't have to do it out loud, but it goes like this. Say, Father, I bow my knee before you submitting my sin to you. I'm asking you to save me. I'm asking Christ to take hold of me, make me his own so that I can take hold of you and make you my own. Thank you for loving me. Forgive me. In faith, I'm trusting Jesus. Again, nobody looking around or talking, but you just made that decision today and you're here in one of our physical locations, would you just simply lift your hand up so our team that is walking around want to give you a Bible and some next steps, they can do that. But then those of us that we are in Christ, we would say we're Christians. I want you to know something. If you have trusted God with your eternity, why would you not trust him with your relationships, with your money, 
with your time, with your gifts. Your Father in heaven loves you in a way that you can't even understand. So quit fighting him. Bow the knee before him. Take hold of the truth in that area of your life. Claim it. Make it your own. Because he'll never leave you or forsake you. And I don't know why you're going through what you're going through. But what I know is that one day he'll reverse it. And he'll do good for you. And sometimes when you take hold of this, you're not even gonna have words. But God knows your heart. He knows those who willingly bow the knee before him. And the promise is, if you humble yourself before him, he will lift you up. God, I pray that you would help us to take hold of that which you've taken hold of us, to comprehend this, make it our own. We wanna take hold of this truth, these that's that we have, that we can be strengthened with power, that Christ will dwell in us, that we'll be able to comprehend how immeasurable your love is, that we might be filled with all your fullness. Ultimately, that's what Christmas is about. So thank you, God. I pray that this prayer of Paul's would come true in our church. In Jesus' name, amen.